Will you turn in your Bible with me, please, to Jeremiah 23? Jeremiah 23, kind of right in the middle of the Bible, actually. Jeremiah is a prophet, and he is speaking to the Israelite people, the promised people of God, the covenant people of God. And his message that he's delivering is not a great message because they have been walking in disbelief. They've been walking in rebellion toward God. They have not followed his statutes. They have done a lot of things against the Lord, actually. And so the Lord has turned from them. And yet, he is remembering all his promises. And so the people are walking into judgment. It's a rough day. It's a difficult time. But God is faithful. But God is true. But God remains stalwart through the whole thing. You know, he's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Did you know, by the way, John Chang, if you haven't met him yet, wonderful guy. Wasn't that a prayer of faith? Prayer of faith. Prayer of faith from Kathy. Did you know that if you can pray as great as John or as Kathy prays, that's wonderful. But if you can just pray and say, Lord, I need you, he hears your prayer too. Isn't that good? He's so kind to us. He's so good to us. He's not swayed by fancy words. And yet, he responds to faith, so shockingly, because he's so good. He knows that we can't even live without him providing our next breath. And yet, he actually answers our prayers. That's amazing. As we come here in Jeremiah 23, we're going to read this prophecy of Jesus who's coming. And it's a wonderful advent uh, passage to think about and to consider. So let's read together. Jeremiah 23, we're going to start at verse 1. Woe to the shepherds. Isn't that a great way to start a... It's a great... Woe to you. It's a great way to start Christmas, isn't it? Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock. You have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you and to your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor shall they be dismayed. Neither shall they be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up from David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely. He shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is your righteousness. What a great name. The Lord is your righteousness. Did you know the Lord is your righteousness? It's not you. It's not what we bring. We have nothing we can boast in. It's by his grace. It's because he was faithful to this word. It's because he sent his son Jesus from the root of Jesse, from the line of David, a king who came who would deal wisely. The other night uh, I was getting our kids in bed and one of my children had a bad dream. And so the child was calling and said, um, I, I'm having these bad thoughts, I'm having these bad dreams. And I said, well, what was your dream? What happened? And they had seen some kind of television program. You know how that goes, right? They see a television program, and then it kind of becomes alive in their imagination. And so the kid said, um, I had this dream that there was this monster coming. And the monster was chasing us. And we were trying to get away, the whole family. And we were trying to go through a portal. 
and we're getting through the portal to get away from the monster, and we couldn't make it to the portal, and then uh, I was afraid because we were being separated, and the monster was getting us. And now that's scary, isn't it? What a scary thing. And so we talked about what that fear looks like and the fear of being separated and the fear of not being able to be together, not only the peril of this monster, but the, uh, the danger of not having your family with you and you're trying to get to a place you can't all get there, and that's a terrible scene. And so I said, what do you think, or can you think of a time in the Bible when there was a monster like that, a monster that was chasing people and the people were afraid of being separated? And so she said, well, I, I think of maybe Goliath. Goliath was big. And I said, yeah, that's true. So Goliath, if you remember from 1 Samuel 17, Goliath is this giant, and the Israelites are at war with the Philistines. You've heard a million sermons on it. You've seen it in Sunday school. It makes for the best movies. And so God had anointed a king, an unlikely king. You see, the people already had a king. They had a king who was handsome, who was tall, who was everything that the people wanted. He fit the part. He was very kingly or presidential or whatever you want to call that. And so he stood in front of the people, taller than most, handsome, looked great, looked great on a horse. And they said, Saul, that guy, that's our king. We want Saul. The problem is he wasn't God's choice. He was what the people wanted. You know, sometimes God will give the people what they want. And so he let them have this king Saul. And now Saul is reigning and ruling. And Saul was not a man after God's own heart. Saul was not a man who was following God. He was not a man who was bringing the people into righteousness. He wasn't somebody who was following the decrees of the Lord. And now a time of war had come and a greater army, a bigger army, the Philistines, had come to fight against the Israelites. And so Saul sent out the word to all the tribes, bring the fighting men. And these guys are farmers. They don't have a standing army. And so the farmers come and they bring their their different farming implements and they make the weapons out of them and they get ready and Saul has his armor. He's one of the only ones with armor. He looks great. He's the guy. He's the one who looks like the best warrior. He's taller than everybody. And what does God allow to happen? God allows this army to walk into the borders of Israel. They're bigger. They have more people. They have better weapons. They're trained. They're scary. And then this guy comes out and he's over eight feet tall. His sword is taller than some of the guys that are fighting in the Israelite army. His spear is bigger than most of them can lift. And he has metal armor. Could you imagine being a farmer with your little, you know, whatever shovel that you brought that you sharpened into some kind of axe thing? And you see this guy, and he's got a spear. He's got this bronze helmet that nobody else can lift because it's so heavy. He's got chain mail on him. This guy is ready to fight. And he calls out an edict. He says, your God is pathetic. Our gods are going to devastate you. And I know that because I'm big. Basically is what he says. So you send out one of your best, and I'll fight him. We'll see which God's really the best. If your champion wins, you all get to live. Sounds like a good deal. If your champion dies, which he will, then you and your families, your wives, your children, will be slaves. Deal? Now, why do you think nobody answered that call? <laughs> Everybody stood terrified. Terrified. But think about this for a moment. You're a farmer. Let's think, you know, man, woman, whatever. You're a brave person. 
you know the Lord, you've heard his word, and you think God will do something, but why don't you step down there? What do you think was holding the people back? You know, losing your life is one thing, but if you lose, everybody loses. And you might think, well, let's band together, guys. Forget that big guy. Let's just go fight him. He's huge. Probably our champion will lose because he's three or four feet taller than everybody. So let's just go. Let's just fight them all. Surely three or four of us can bring that big guy down. Let's forget the champion thing. Let's just fight. But the problem is they're bigger. The army's bigger in general. More people, better weapons. They've got armor and all kind of stuff. And we're looking at this huge dude. If there's more like that back there somewhere, we're in trouble. And so you don't dare step down to go. Especially because if you lose, your children suffer. You die. I mean, you're done, I guess. But what ramifications would that have? So who do you look to? The tallest guy around. Saul, the king. Surely. He's the tallest. He's the most handsome. He's the only one with armor. That guy's got armor. He's got armor. Done deal. Go for it, Saul. And what does Saul do? Saul stays in his tent and he sends out a messenger. Declared all the people, is there a champion who might come? God had a champion in mind. You see, God chose someone who was unlikely. God chose a little guy, 17 years old, who was a shepherd. You understand, shepherd is not a great job. Think about it. Your life as a shepherd is worth less than the sheep you're guarding. And you live out there. You don't get a palace. You don't even get a big tent. You got to be around the sheep because when, when do the predators come? They come at night. And so in the night, you live with the sheep. You're amongst them. You're listening to them. You know them. They know your voice. But this is not a high-paying, great job. And in his father's household, this little runt of a kid was the one that the dad sent out there to go be with the sheep. He wasn't even the one that was being groomed to be the heir of all this land that the dad had. He was the one that was forgotten. And so God sends Samuel the prophet, and Samuel the prophet comes, and he said, the Lord says to him, come to this house, the house of Jesse, and look at his sons. I've chosen one of them to be king. And Samuel says, oh, thank you, Lord, because we've got to get this Saul guy out of here. He's not following you. And so he sees the first son, the oldest son, the tallest son. He thinks, surely this one is the one. And the Lord says, nope, pass him over. And so he goes down the list of all those many sons. This, well, he's not as tall, but he's broad. This guy looks like, good, no, okay. Well, how about this one, Lord? Not the biggest, but the smartest. He's the one that does all the books for the dad. Nope, move on. Uh, okay, well, this one's kind of ugly, but he probably, he speaks well. That's great. We'll invent radio. People can hear it. They don't have to see him. It'll be awesome. No, the Lord says. So finally, Saul, Samuel comes up to Jesse, the dad. He says, have you no other sons? He says, well, I have one, the kid. He's out in the field. He's handsome. He's a musician. You want the musician? He says, bring him out. So they go find David, and they bring him. And the Lord says, this is the one. And so God Command Samuel, who opens a horn of oil, and he pours it over David, the young boy's head, and he says, you have been anointed to be the king of Israel. He was God's choice. Unlikely, the musician, out in the fields, didn't have a good job, but he worked hard. 
And so now he wasn't even old enough or big enough to go out to the battle with the Philistines. He was still watching the sheep. Sometimes he had been maybe to the palace to play his, his instrument and soothe the king because he had all kind of issues. And so he goes out bringing lunch and provisions and food to his brothers, and he sees the giant standing in the valley who's yelling against God and against his people, who's issuing this command. And he says, why is no one moving? And they say, David, it's, he's going to kill us, first of all. But even if he doesn't, even if you get a shot in, surely that bigger force, how, we, how will we even know that they'll follow their word? And if we band together and fight, they're going to they're get us. Look at their armor. What do we do? So David says, I'll fight him. And that comes to the ears somehow of one of those messengers who brings him into Saul. And what does Saul do? Saul sees this little tiny kid. And he says, I have an opportunity here. My PR team. I'll put my armor on him. Then everybody will think Saul's going out there. It'll look like me. This is perfect. And if he dies, he's just a shepherd boy. No big deal. I can find, find another guitarist. There are a dime a dozen, I guarantee you. So he takes the kid, he puts his armor on him. He says, now you're equipped. You have my armor. And David can't. It's too big. It doesn't, he's little. It doesn't work for him. He can't wear this stuff. And he says, you know what? I've been out there with the sheep. I've actually been living with them. And it came time to protect them when a bear showed up. And I fought the bear. I didn't have this armor. You know, another time a mountain lion came out of nowhere, and I fought the mountain lion, and God preserved me and preserved the sheep. And he's going to preserve the sheep today. I'll fight that. I'll fight that giant. I don't need your armor. And so he goes down to the riverbed. He gets five smooth stones. He comes up, and he grabs a slingshot. A slingshot. You know, here's the funny thing. A slingshot, pretty powerful weapon. It goes fast. But if you have a bronze helmet on, it might phase you for a second. But if your sword is almost as tall as the guy running at you, you know, half of warfare is just getting people before they get you. If you can get somebody farther away so they're not close to you, you're safer. That's why Goliath has this giant sword and this giant spear, is if you come up with a little knife and they've got a giant sword, you're in trouble. It doesn't matter how fast you are, you're just, it's physics. There's just too much length of metal between you and the guy. But David, he's got a slingshot, and he says, I trust the Lord. So David goes down in the valley. He doesn't look like the king. You know what he looks like? A shepherd. Could you imagine the brothers? Oh, my God. Oh, he's going. He's actually, he's walking in the valley. Why is he walking in the valley? Guys, what is he? Let's leave now. We'll leave now? That's what they're thinking. He's a sh it's a shepherd. Could you imagine your fate resting on the shoulders of a shepherd? His life is not worth the lives of the sheep that we slaughtered for lunch. This guy is not important. Where's Saul? Where's the tall guy? Where's the armor? He's got a slingshot. God help us. We're in trouble. He doesn't have a sword. What are we going to do here? And he goes down in the valley. And he tells the giant, the Lord will fight for me today. And he slings a stone. And it says that the stone sunk into the forehead of the giant so that he fell dead. And then David, barely able to pick it up, takes the sword of the giant and chops off his head. And now the people are emboldened and start running after the Philistines. If the shepherd can do it, we can all do it. And suddenly they're ready for the fight. 
And David is this glorious, amazing warrior, tiny little kid shepherd. You know, to meet him, I think you'd be disappointed. To meet him, you'd probably be like, really? This little guy? Like, where's the big guy? Oh, Saul, he's, he's the one I want to meet. He's just a little guy. But God sent a champion who he had chosen, who he anointed. And the difference between this champion and the current King Saul was that David had lived with the sheep. He had a burden for the flock. He had a burden for God's people. And he knew that the word of God had said that the people themselves were the sheep of God's pasture, that he owned them, that Israel was his. It was his own son. They were his sheep. They were his to protect. He was the great shepherd. And so he had anointed somebody with oil already who would be the shepherd to save the people. And so David didn't go to be a great warrior. David didn't go because he was trying to be a great example. David didn't go because he thought this would bring him glory. He went because he was a shepherd and because the shepherd had sent him and anointed him. And so everything within him, it was worth him dying. It was worth him standing there. It was worth the Lord's honor and it was worth the people that he would protect. And he went with a slingshot, God help us, because he trusted God. He went with the weapons God had already given him. He didn't try to be somebody else. He just went. Why would God do that? Why would God give the people a shepherd? A shepherd who's nothing. A shepherd who's not important. A shepherd whose life is worthless. He gave him a shepherd because he had called his rulers to be shepherds over the people. To count their lives as less important than the lives of those people whom he was serving. God had designed the leadership of his people to demonstrate his own heart. And God would make due on his promise that he would send another, a better shepherd, a greater shepherd, his own son, Jesus, who would count his life, ready, worth less than us. And he wouldn't just die for his people who were at his back, who were trying to hope and wish and pray. But he would go down and he would even fight for his enemies. He would take on sin and death, and he would be the great shepherd that everyone the Father had chosen, everyone that he had brought into the kingdom, everyone he had put his mark onto, Jesus Christ would take the punishment for their sins, though we were enemies. Could you imagine David going and giving his life for the Philistines? He laid his down in his life, or almost did, put it at risk for the sake of his people. Jesus did the same thing, but while we were yet enemies, while we hated him, he came, made good on the Lord's command, on the Lord's promise, and delivered himself up for us all. He didn't do it in a way that we expect. We thought there'd be armor. We thought there'd be tall guys and, and battles and glory and all these kind of things. And instead, Jesus died the death that we deserved as criminals. Though he was innocent, though he had no sin, he walked into the court of God and said, I will take all the guilt of all the people whom you have called because I love the sheep more than I love myself. He went to the cross for us and died a traitor's death, physically agonizing, physically terrible, horrible in its punishment, horrible in its torture, but spiritually stood before the Father, taking all the wrath of sin for all of us who would call on his name. Spiritually before the Father for the first time ever, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit was ripped asunder 
as the father turned away his back on his own son. Why would he do that? He would do it because he had commissioned the shepherd to bring back every sheep that was lost. And Jesus did it. He prayed. He said, Lord, I've not lost one. None of them that you've given me have I lost. Because he is the good shepherd. God made good on his promise. And he sent a good king who is better. He's better than David. He's better than the great warrior thoughts that we could have. He's the great king. He's the great shepherd. One time I remember being in a class and we were going over David and Goliath and I've heard a million sermons on if you have faith like David, you can conquer giants. And you know what? If you have faith like David, praise God, the Lord will conquer all kind of stuff with you. True. But the real point of the story is could you imagine standing there on the hillside? Your family's at risk. Your children are at risk. They're going to overtake you. You're probably going to die today. Because that kid's probably not going to make it. Then the army's going to take over, and they're going to kill us all. They're not going to leave fighting men alive. And then our families, what will happen to them? And here goes David, and he walks in the valley, and he throws that rock, and he kills the giant, and he cuts the head off the giant. And all the people look around, and they say, we'll follow him anywhere. Whatever he does will go anywhere he goes because he's our champion. In one foul swoop, in one throwing of the stone, David established himself not just as the anointed of God, but as the true leader. And when Jesus went to the cross for us, everything looked so bleak because he really died. And for three days, he really stayed dead. But when he rose again, and the first time you encountered him, the first time you met him, the first time you realized that he was holy and you were not, and the first time you felt his forgiveness and his love wash over you, and you said, Lord, I believe, because the Bible tells us if we believe, if we call on the name of Jesus, then we'll be saved. And it didn't take a great prayer. It didn't take money. It didn't take fame. It didn't take height. It didn't take armor. It just took Jesus. And like David in the valley, when the first time you saw King Jesus, who has conquered, who has conquered sin, he's conquered death, he's conquered the grave, he's seated on the throne, everything in us says, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. Anywhere. Because God is establishing a better kingdom, the fullness of the kingdom, with his King Jesus on the throne, who lives forever, who's overcome all of God's enemies, and who is ruling and reigning. And our hearts belong to him. And so now, when bad dreams hit, when bad memories hit, when things strike you as you're falling asleep of disqualifications from your past, of things that you've done where the devil reminds you, could God really love you? When the bad dreams come of monsters who are trying to chase you into portals or whatever it is, and fear strikes you because you feel isolated, because you feel like you're separated from the people of God, because you feel far off from God, because you feel like everything is dry and done and we're not growing and what's happening and I feel so stagnant and what am I even doing and what, why does this thought keep pressing on my mind all the time? What do I do with it? Stop fighting and look to the champion. The champion who God sent, the champion who has overcome, the champion who's defeated the grave, the champion who stands now, God forever, Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus. 
<coughs> How do we do that? Remember his promises. We belong to Jesus. Here's what I did with my child. I said, do you remember this story? They said, yes. I said, then let's, let's think about it now. Is there any monster, any monster, real, fake, whatever, in our imagination or real, that God cannot defeat? There's no monster. The Bible tells us there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing, not even sword or famine or peril or danger, nakedness, nothing can separate us. Angels, demons, nothing, because our champion is so strong. God's champion is so great that there is no monster in the still of the night who can separate you from God or from his people. He oversees us. He's our shepherd. And he's not far away living in a palace with armor that he's never going to wear. He's with us, like the shepherd with the sheep. He's with us. And so when the bear comes or the lion comes, he's there. Is there any thought, any danger, any fear that God cannot overcome? There's none. And he's put us in a flock together. We're not alone. We're not isolated. We're not sitting out. I'll tell you what, the world will try to make you feel that way all the time, all the time, even from everything. And sometimes you sit there at night wondering, are the best friends I have friends on Facebook? God help us. And I'm telling you, when the isolation comes, what do we do? We rest on the word of God. No, you put me in your people. The Lord said he has not lost one sheep. I'm a sheep. I'm his I'm the sheep of his pasture. I belong to him. I'm in his hand. He's with me. He's fighting for me. He has saved me. I remember these. Where is this thought coming from? It's not coming from him. Wait a minute. Where is that thought coming from? In the name of Jesus, wherever you are, shut up. And suddenly, what is it? The demons flee at the name of Jesus. And so it persists. All of a sudden, this is a strong one. It's coming on you more. You're like, good for five minutes, and all of a sudden, new things start assaulting you. What do you do? You say, Lord, I remember your promises. I remember your gospel. We were far from you. I was your enemy, and yet you sent your son to save me. I remember, Lord, that you had a family named Noah and his sons and daughters and his wife, and, Lord, you saved them in the boat. I remember that. I remember your call on Abraham. I remember David that you made the king. I remember Moses. I remember how you brought the people out of slavery. Lord, you brought me out of slavery. Lord, you put me in your ark of Jesus. Lord, you made me your people. Lord, you gave me your law. Lord, you put your word in me. And now what, what happens to those thoughts? They just start draining away out of the truth of the promises of what God's done. And here's the best part. We're not just saying, Lord, I know someday I'll go to heaven. Lord, I know someday it'll be okay. Lord, I know someday you'll make do. I know someday it's going to be fine. Out there, out there, out there. Instead, it's, it's here, it's here, it's in here. It's already done. He's already said it. It's already happening. I'm already resting on it. This is my foundation. There's no sand under my feet. I can stand firm because I know the word of God. And the demons flee. And the thoughts go away. They can't stand against those things. But in the still of the night, we've all had the bad dreams. How do you combat it? You combat it because the Lord sent his son. He sent the better shepherd. He gave us Jesus. And Jesus lives now. And he's a great king. What does this word mean for our lives? It means that if you believe in Jesus, if you've said, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you. I have rebelled against you. Forgive me, God. Lord, I want to live for you. I submit my life to you. Help me, Lord. If you've prayed that prayer, you belong to him. 
If you believe in Jesus, I'm telling you now, he has forgiven your sins. Stop trying to earn his forgiveness and just trust that God sent his champion.